Hey there, it's Ben. I'm just wanting to give a quick shout out to all of our listeners who I know are going to be getting in touch with us with describing their favorite era of play. And I do also want to give a shout out to Matt Rees, our latest backer on Patreon. You can be like them at patreon.com slash the Heidi and White. Thank you, and now on to the show. Look here. I found a crate full of antique blasters. How much do you think we can get for these things? They look in decent condition. Oh no, let me see. Well, the bla- the barrel's clear. The power pack's charged. There's even still gas in the igniter. Huh, let's give it a test shot in this excitable tale from a Hydean way. We're your hosts, Ben Yendel. And Resity. This week, we are talking about setting things in different eras. Genesis, this is kind of a thing that's built into it. Um, there's a part of the main book in the GM section talking about creating items in different play eras or different play adventure styles. Like, yeah. am I wanting to do something in the Android universe or am I wanting to do something in Realms of Terranoth? Or am I wanting to do something in the 1920s or the 1970s? Because, well, weird things can happen then. <laughs> I mean, it was the 70s. In Genesis, it's part of the makeup of the core concept, but a lot of the lessons in Genesis can be applied to the Star Wars role-playing game. They're directly related systems, but also a lot of the basic assumptions in Genesis hold true in Star Wars. So if we look at the Genesis stuff, I think that we can get a lot out of it to then apply to, say, I'm wanting to take a rebel trooper and shift it back into the Clone Wars, or I'm wanting to shift it forward into the sequel trilogy, because only a beginner box has been released for the sequel trilogy. Yeah. By gum, some of us want to play then. Yeah. <laughs> there are so many things, and the Poe Dameron comic has actually been kind of interesting for looking at it. Yeah, so it's... It's definitely a fun thing to think of because the source material is definitely geared towards what happens in the original trilogy. Like, pretty much everything is based in that time period, which is fun. It's a fun time period to play in. I mean, I've set a lot of my stuff between episodes four and five because I feel like that's a really good time period to set it in where everyone is super like jazzed up about the rebellion and everything. So it's a good time to get people in there. But it's kind of fun to do other things as well, because there's the entire Clone Wars era. Oh, yeah. There is the rise of the First Order, which we've done a campaign post-Endor, but not quite rise of the First Order. So just not quite that far. But then there's also just full-on sequel trilogy time period. And what our entire group really wants to do is Old Republic. We would love to do an Old Republic campaign. There's so much narrative juice to an Old Republic campaign. Yes. There's so few rules to it. I know. Well, I was... Also meaning more, it's so much of a sandbox. There's not much set canon there. Yeah. I mean, it's 
all legends now. None of that's technically canon anymore, which is a bummer. But still, it's it's a good time period to set things in. It's because it's cool. <laughs> it's cool, okay? And I like Visa Smar. <laughs> I really like KOTOR too. If you get like the the mods to make it a finished game, it's great. <laughs> Poor Obsidian. Yeah, pretty much. Especially the one where it speeds you up in that the the spacesuit because if it mm-hmm. isn't, then it's just unbearable. <laughs> yeah, that was a interesting game. If you get that stuff, it's a great game. <laughs> And I highly recommend it. But that's that's a really fun time to set a Force and Destiny campaign. Because there's so much stuff you can do with Force users in that time period that you can't do with Force users in later times. You really can't use Force users like that in anything after the prequel trilogy time period, right? <laughs> yeah, not in the same way, no. If you want to really get the best use out of your Force users, that would be a great place to do it. A great time period to do it in. And also, prequel trilogy time period is is a great time to play a Force and Destiny campaign. I really like the prequel time period because, okay, I just finished up my rewatch of the prequels because, well... I actually kind of like them. I'm liking them more the more that I watch them, the more time that I put between when they were released and my expectations at the time and now understanding what they are. There's so much meat there in the fall of the Jedi Order, in the corruption of it. Like, how does each of the Jedi react to the war? Yeah. There's also, like, you can have your high sort of gray area campaign. If you so want, you can have the shining knight on the mountaintop against all the chaos. You can do so many of the more, well, you can do a lot of the war style and somewhat epic style campaigns then. I completely agree. And it's, it's really fun because you can have force users that are just out force users, right? So yes. they can just be force users. And I think that is something that in campaigns that are set in later time periods, having to just hide doing all your force using is like one of like the biggest time consuming things, right? You can't just do things. You have to do things in a sneaky way. You have to do things. It takes a lot of time to do things. I think. It would be fun to get to be a Force user in a time where using the Force isn't taboo. I guess that's also the reason why I'm kind of jazzed about the sequel trilogy time frame. Is that there are Force users. It may still be coming into your power as like the sort of hero's journey for the players. But there's no secret taboo of using the Force. There's just no real knowledge of the Force. Yeah. The whole, oh, look, I'm showing this and then I become hunted is the real damper on force using. That's the reason why I like the prequel trilogy and the sequel trilogy eras. Yeah, pretty much. 
And it also is a different thing. Even if you want to do like an Age of Rebellion campaign, they're very different in like if you wanted to do something with the Age of Rebellion rules in the prequel time period, doing a Clone Wars, <laughs> like that would be a really good campaign to be doing. Like that would be very interesting to play because you can you can be force users and be doing it. That is going to be a really fun part to it. And yeah, this episode is being recorded at a very weird time because we're recording this just before the rise of the separatists comes out yeah. for people to look at. So we don't have the clone war stats for things. Even still, it sort of sparked off some of this time shift stuff because yeah. is it cool that we're getting it? Yes. Can I take a shipwright from Age of Rebellion and dump it in as a clone trooper? Absolutely. Yeah. If I'm wanting to even mildly tease it, I essentially just use the Mandalorian human, take the free rank in heavy weapons, and then I've got an engineer shipwright. Yeah, pretty much. Oh, look, I have a combat-focused character that is still an officer. Yeah. Or, I guess, NCO, but whatever. I mean, that would just be really fun. I'm really excited for that book to come. <laughs> I want to <laughs> see it. I'm very excited. I just don't... Ha I don't want to order it until I have people who want to play in that time period. <laughs> you know... I've also checked in every now and then for my pre-order on account of I pre-ordered that like back in September. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Curse you, FFG and Lucasfilm Limited. Pretty much. I know, it's both of you. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be super exciting to read that and to see all the stat blocks and stuff. Um, as cool as getting that is, as cool as getting the stats for like an ETRT, because those little kangaroo walkers are silly and amazing. <laughs> They're weird. I love them. Yeah. Getting the stats for that, getting the stats for all the weapons and that sort of thing. It's the stories that you're wanting to tell. And yeah. telling the tale of a group of partisans that have been invaded by the CIS. And now you're part of a resistance cell on there, kind of like Saw and Stella in the Clone yeah. Wars. Yes, Saw was right. <laughs> Using the Clone Wars as an example, there's several occasions of where this does happen, where you've got like Rodians fighting back, Gand fighting back, you name it. Like it isn't just clones and droids. Yes, yeah. they're there, but you've got all these other people who are fighting. Definitely. But the thing that I predict, and by the time everyone listening to this can actually prove, assuming you're willing to shell it for the book, <laughs> there's nothing saying that you have to buy this. I mean, we're not the Star Wars RPG police. Probably. Unless we're undercover. <laughs> we don't get paid enough for it, sorry. That's true. And definitely not by FFG. Or by Lucasfilm. Lucasfilm, pay me. Definitely not shells. Wow, no. paid chills. <laughs> yeah. A blaster rifle is still going to be a blaster rifle. That's, yeah. in the end, that's kind of where I'm all going. It's like, whatever gun a clone trooper has, 
is going to be almost identical to the gun that the stormtrooper has. Yeah, that's a really cool thing about Star Wars in the fact that it has, yeah, it's future, it's future tech in a way. But for one thing, it's retro future tech, which I love. But yeah, they kind of like stalled out on their tech 200 years ago. The tech itself doesn't change that much from prequel to original trilogy. Like the ships change, but everything else is pretty constant. So you can use objects and have the same stats for them. And you can change what they're called, but they're going to have the same stats. Well, and that's the cool part. And, and yeah, you're right. In some ways, it is the technology is stalled out. And for 50 years, there's not great amounts of change. Though, that being said, I would still go back and, like, everything's relative to everything else. Yeah. If I was taking a prequel trilogy's Y-Wing from the Clone Wars and putting it up against a Special Forces TIE Fighter from the First Order, yeah, I would drop its handling a lot or something like that. But it's only when I'm going like major era differences that really it feels like you need to have huge disparities in things. Yeah. If a Y-Wing is fighting against a Vulture droid, okay, it's still outmatched, but it's era to era, prequel to prequel. Yeah. Pretty much. As much as I like the idea of having stats growing, I kind of like the elegance of the system being stats are for the era. It's just like... Unless you are, if I'm playing in like a sequel trilogy game and someone has tech that's like 50 years old, then I would definitely have the tech that's 50 years old have some sort of disadvantage to it. But if I'm playing in the prequel trilogy setting, it wouldn't have that kind of stuff on it. It would just have the normal stats. It's almost. Okay, well, this thing's 50 years old. It's been used for 50 years. It's not... Pretty much. It's old and worn out. How do I model the old and worn out part? Yeah. That's kind of where I'm at with it. Say I was using a Vietnam-era M16. Is it still going to be okay? Most likely. But it's still probably going to be tricky to service on account of it's a 50-year-old weapon. You want to show it a bit more care and respect on account of at this time it should be saving for retirement if that was a thing. (laughs) Pretty much. Like a 50-year-old car. Yeah. It's going to act like a 50-year-old car, but that doesn't mean that it can't handle like a new one. You just have to take care of it. Exactly. The question then is, how do we make our game feel like it's in the era that we want to set it in? My first suggestion is to watch or play or read source material from the era. So if you want to do something in Old Republic, there's books to read, there's video games to play to do that. Or if you want to do something set in you know, the first order time period, watch the sequels, something like that gets you in the mood and start seeing what they have 
The reason why I want to play something in the sequel trilogy timeline is because I've been watching The Resistance. Yeah. As the first sort of rose there, that's what's making me want to play something where it's slowly taking over. Exactly like what you're saying, Risa. Taking the media that you're watching and using that as source material. I mean, when we were watching Rebels is when we literally did our (laughs) pre-episode four game. (laughs) Because I was like, I've been watching a lot of Rebels and now I want to play something like this. It's great motivation. It is. It gets you in the mood for what you're doing. And it gets a tone. Yeah. Tone is such a huge thing with this. It really is. Because each of the eras have a different tone to them. Mm-hmm. Especially the original trilogy time period has a very secretive and just tense. Everything is, it's a powder keg, right? It's about ready to just explode. That is just the entire mood of that time period. And it's a very different mood (laughs) from the prequel tone. By far. Right? And that is more analytical. It is strategic. It is a war that we have to plan. Right? It's something a lot more, like, logical about it. It's not as tense and in the moment. There's a certain amount of planning that can be done. That's just how I always feel about those movies, at least, is that there's a certain amount of, <laughs> ah, yes, and now we're going to talk about this, and this is our entire plan, and we're, we're going to do this. <laughs> it's because it's a political drama. That is what the prequels are. They're a political drama. <laughs> okay. I can't say that I got that from them. <laughs> I mean, at least my rewatch of them, I have felt like that. <laughs> Like, I definitely feel like there's a whole lot in 2 and 3 where it's like Rome's burning. Yeah. It's very much the fall of the Republic. Yeah. Which may or may not come out this year as a source book. (laughs) Not salty at all. (laughs) They're definitely making, well, this is our plan to do this, this is our plan to do that. But it's also in the Clone Wars TV show, the, like, what, two, three years in between those two movies? Yeah. That's where I see the planning. The yeah. two movies are really feels like this desperate struggle against the inevitable and the inevitable wins. Yeah. The episode three is like the movie embodiment of that meme where the dog is sitting in the house that's on fire and he's like, this is fine. <laughs> that's what episode three is. Oh, yeah. That totally. Absolutely that. This is fine. <laughs> That's everyone in that movie is just like, no, 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 this, it's okay. Nothing's, nothing's going wrong, but we're not, we're not losing. And then there's Ian McDermott, who's just having a ball. Yeah. So good. I've been having so much more fun with those movies nowadays. Yeah. Yeah. They, they are fun to watch, in my opinion. There's a lot of, like, other discussion around them, but yeah, I've definitely yeah. got they're so much more fun and they have so much style to them that I really love it. The entire, I still am just stuck on Attack of the Clones. It's my least favorite of all of the, all of the Star Wars movies. 
partially because I saw it in theaters when I was a kid. And <laughs> I was just like, this is uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, I can totally go with that. Like, <sighs> there's some scenes which are just like, <laughs> but there's enough scaffolding there that I used to like. Yeah. The whole assassination attempt on Padme is something I just want to know more about. Like, what the heck is going on? Why? Yeah. How many? It starts off with a handmaiden getting killed. Like, what the heck is going on here? There's that. There's so much of the structuring of all the machinations that are coming to fruition there by the uh, Chancellor. <laughs> When Delray finally gets around to doing this book, I am absolutely just going to gobble it up because I can see them doing it and it looks to be an interesting story behind it. Yes, give me that book about Saifodius because it'll be weird. Between that, the end fight, like just going with Obi-Wan getting captured and then having the entirety of reality explained to him and he not believe it. Yeah. Like it's laid out expressly for him he's the one who's had the actual what's going on there in front of him for the entirety of the war and he's just been denying it so it's fun it's a fun time period at least it really is and so many stories like you can tell yeah from all three of the different lines too like it'd be a great one for age of rebellion like you were saying yeah. I can definitely think of a few interesting Edge ones. I mean, heck. If I think Edge, I'm also kind of thinking Solo. Yeah. Because by gum, that's a Edge game. Oh, yeah. Definitely. That's just an Edge game. That sure, it starts off in a war, but it's, it's an Edge game. Yeah. It really is. And, yeah. We've got a small freighter that's hauling things. And then we've got the Falcon. Then we've got Giant Monster. The yeah. stats are either completely narrative, or we can start off with the Sando Aqua Monster and go from there for large monsters. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that there's stats somewhere in there for Exogorths. I think they're in Strongholds of Resistance, of all things. Hmm. Maybe. It's theme. It's like to jump to different time periods. It's theme. It's what are you wanting to tell? Yeah. It's kind of like with Genesis. Okay, I'm wanting to do a steampunk thing. What am I wanting to tell with a steampunk setting? Am I just wanting a high adventure with goofy mechanical things and essentially Mary Poppins? <gasps> okay. What's helpful in, in Genesis is that it does have some like pre-made settings for you. And also with settings in Genesis, if you want to like switch it up between time periods, you can just opt in and out of different skills. True. So like in a modern day setting, I can use the hacker, all of the hacker skills, right? So I can use computers and stuff like that. But if I wanted to set it in the 1920s, I can just get rid of all of that. I don't have to use any of that. If I want to set it in steampunk, then I can add in some stuff back in. I can add in alchemy. Because why not? Stuff like that. And it gives you some pre-made settings, but it also gives you guides on how to successfully do that for your own setting in just the core book, which is, it's really helpful. And if you 
have the core book and haven't read the section on like creating your own setting, I really recommend it because it's helpful. It really is helpful if you tailor your skills to the setting because that helps your players know how to tailor their characters for the setting. Because you don't want to set something in the 1920s and have someone show up with computers as a skill. Because that (laughs) wouldn't make any sense. So something like that. Also, just in the GM section, it also helps you come up with items, which is also really, really good for... I know Ben already mentioned this earlier in the episode, but I want to talk about it some more. Because it helps you come up with items for your setting. And it helps you specifically with talking about stats for your items because it's a really good guideline for stats. You can apply that to Star Wars as well. If you want to create items that don't exist and you don't want to just copy and paste another stat block, you can look in this section and it can help you come up with some balanced, a nice balanced stat block for like a weapon that you specifically that someone is like i want this weapon out of legends and you're like fine let's figure it out right especially if you're going to do something like an old republic campaign right (laughs) because that's going to be a little harder to just copy and paste stuff because there are so many things from legends that you're going to have to figure out and some of them like blasters are just going to be blasters no matter what right pretty much But other things you might want to look into if you want to create your own, your own items. It's just, it's really helpful. I, I, I really like the GM section in the Genesis core book. It's really, really helpful. Even if you only play the Star Wars, it's still a really helpful section to have for playing the FFG narrative system. It really is. Like, the guidelines in there help out so much. I love them, and I use them a lot because I make up a lot of things. <laughs> I, I'm i not one to use pre-made things. Why would I make it easy? I don't like to make easy things. <laughs> that would give me time to do other things. No, it's a very helpful thing, especially when... You have players who are like, I want to create this thing. And then they try to come up with stuff on their own. And you can just kind of veto them and say, well, this is how the book suggests we do it. And in doing that, it also helps set expectations. Yeah. In so many ways, we've got examples of absolutely phenomenal mind-melting kind of things. Okay, what do we do with a plasma axe? Because... That could be a thing. Well, okay, we've got stats for a plasma axe because that seems like a thing. Uh, a yeah. thermal axe, I think it was a Zerkus thermal axe is somewhere in the rules. I'm not exactly sure where at the moment off the top of my head. Okay, I've been playing Arkham Horror a bit recently, <laughs> and you're the one who mentioned the 1920s a little bit before the show, and that got me thinking of Arkham Horror. Like, not the reason why you're meaning it, but because... Like, okay, it's mysteries, but really weird ones. <laughs> like, I really like the new Arkham Horror game. It plays so good. I've yet to win, but I still want to play it more. <laughs> if anything, that's a good mark of a game. Sam wanting to create a double-barreled shotgun from there, which 
one of the really amazing weapons in Arkham Horror. Okay. Is it a nine base damage? Well, probably. That sounds like a double barrel shotgun thing. It probably is going to be a short, medium range thing. Because, I mean, it's a shotgun and it's stopping power at long range is not going to be a huge amount unless you're a bird. (laughs) I mean, like purpose-built weapons and all. Yeah. It also probably has a low crit rating because, well, shotgun. (laughs) Silly thing. This can blow off limbs. Also, that would be almost completely from a double-barreled. Okay, it's linked one. Yeah. Wahaha. That's a good weapon, then. Yeah, as long as you take into account that it's a scatter gun, so we'll call it short range. Yeah, that's what I would say. You shoot it off at short range, you're going to mess someone up, but you got to get in close enough to use it. Yeah. So it's a high risk, high reward kind of thing. And that's the kind of thing, like, especially if you're making, like, weapons specifically out of, like, stuff that you find in KOTOR. That's the kind of thing you can do. <laughs> you have them in, like, your inventory, and you can see how much, like, damage and stuff they do how close you have to get and everything for them to actually be useful. So you have a good idea on how they need to be used. So you have a pretty good idea on how you could make them as an item in the system, honestly. Like, there are a bunch of grenades and stuff in KOTOR. (laughs) Eventually, we're going to get around to doing a Shadow of the Beanstalk review on Tails because, well, eventually we will. Yeah. In reading through, one of the things that's been very, very interesting to me is their vehicle stats. Because it seems like the armor value on the vehicles is lower than in Star Wars. Which, okay, sure, there's the thing in Star Wars where, yeah, they're military vehicles, yada, yada. But the thing is, is that two armor means personal weapons can't do damage to anything. Yeah. In Shadow of Beanstalk. The heaviest duty military vehicle that I'm seeing in it has two armor. Which means, yeah, military weapons can absolutely do damage to it, but personal weapons, not so much. Yeah. Which is kind of cool to me. And like your average flying car has no armor. So if you do enough damage on personal scale, yes, you're doing damage to the thing. That is my one suggestion going forward in creating your own weapons and stuff for vehicles have low armor. Yeah. Yeah. I do have one question for you, Risa. Okay. And it comes down to creating items that are not weapons. Mm-hmm. How would you go about doing that? How would you create game effects for something that doesn't have a combat focus. It seems like a lot of the discussion we have is around transportation or weapons. In my urban fantasy game, I've created a couple magical items for my... Okay. Whatchamacallum's players. They're called players. I've created some magical items for my players. What I've kind of done is, depending on how much they've either spent on it or what like they kind of did for someone to receive it because some of them have been like, yeah, you guys finished this thing. I'm giving you my magic brooch. 
kind of a thing. And I've kind of gone through, I'm pretty sure there's a section on that, on magical items in the Genesis section. I can't remember. And pretty much there's like, I think there's like a table of effects you can have on it. So it's like things that can give you a boost on specific checks or they can downgrade specific checks or upgrades, like stuff like that is pretty straightforward. I've done that, which is specifically magic items. I had one that was like, it gave them, it was from a Selkie. So it specifically gave them a boost on not conjuring. What's the one that makes it look like something else? Maybe that is technically conjuring. I don't think illusion is technically. Yeah. I think it's just conjuring, a, a conjuring spell. So if they're rolling for that, because a Selkie would use that, so that's what she gave them. <laughs> that's kind of what I do, is I, I want to decide what practical effect would this have, and then I can decide how that happens in game. Okay. It really just depends on the item. Like, if it's clothing or something, and someone is, this is plate armor, right? I'm going to have to talk to them about, okay, then yes, this is going to give you like two soak, but it's going to like give you setback to coordination checks or something, right? Something like that, which literally one of my players tried to do that. And I talked her down to just a breastplate because I was like, no, you literally, I would make you do use a setback on all coordination checks. And she was like, that doesn't seem fair. And I was like, you're wearing plate armor. <laughs> Try doing a flip in plate armor, okay? Yeah, and I totally toss it onto stealth rolls as well. Yeah, clank, clank, clank. Exactly. So you just kind of want to think about what it would do, what would be the practical effects of this item. So binoculars would take out like a setback on on being able to see a perception check for for doing something. I know this is literally something that exists in the game, but it was the first thing I could think of. And then you'd have to think, how hard is it to carry those? It would be one encumbrance to carry it. Yeah. So that's kind of what I do with items. Think about the practical uses of it, how that translates into game mechanics, and then kind of decide, how heavy would this be to carry? <laughs> So much of it is this semi-situational aspect of it. It's like, thinking of the 1920s, I'm carrying around this camera. <laughs> this is a encumbrance two, three level thing. Has a tripod on it if you're wanting to set it up and get something stable. Otherwise, that's going to be a daunt. Um, depends. Are they trained in it or not? If they aren't, I would go with, yeah, that's probably a daunting check. To get something that isn't blurred. Yeah. Then use bipod rules on it. <laughs> Cameras in those eras were bulky as all get out. I would I would even put like cumbersome on that. Ooh. To be honest. Cause it would be really difficult to walk around with one of those things. Will you toss in cumbersome or unwieldy or both? Hmm. Yeah, maybe. Because I can see reasons for both. Those things are just bulky as I'll get up. But they're also rather unwieldy. Looking through here essentially cut off a lot of your peripheral vision. 
Yep. Make the perception check with it. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like an idea. Perception check with it. And if you succeed, you can then get a quality picture of said person to then be developed using alchemy or whatever you yeah. want to call it. Yes. Alchemy. I continue using alchemy. Change the name to chemistry, I guess. Fine. But also 1920s. Yeah. Alchemy is still kind of a thing. I mean, you've got yeah. Houdini. Yeah. It works. All right. So it's about that time. Risa, what would your final thoughts be on how to take a FFG narrative game and shift time periods with it. Definitely figure out what period want you want it to be in and just consume some media set in that period. It really helps you capture the tone of the period for you to set your game. And it also will give you an idea of what kind of technology and stuff is used in that time period. It'll just really help you also be able to drop like names and stuff of specific things that have happened in that time period as a little thing for your players to get. And it's, it's nice. That's a, it's a, it's a good way to get in the spirit of it at least. So that is my suggestion. What about you? Mine is don't sweat the stats. Like I'm, I am such a stats junkie. I'm very much a stats junkie. That's the thing that Genesis has taught me. That's kind of, that's the thing that the Force Awakens beginner game taught me, which by the way, good beginner game. Not entirely certain about the map and it being canon, but leave that to Wikipedia. Don't sweat the stats because a blaster rifle is going to be doing like eight, nine damage on a shot. Soak is going to be brawn plus one or two. Unless you're like not wanting to wear any armor, in which case, yeah, none. (laughs) Which case, well, duck, duck a lot. (laughs) Well, there's a reason why wizards duck behind things. It's true. And there's a reason why the big lug in plate mail is up there swinging her battle axe. (laughs) Take your pick. That's kind of what the positions are. As much as the stats allow us to make the mechanics of a game, don't get hung up on, well, this is happening 20 years ago, therefore it has to be really, really worse off. Yeah, something can be a bit more bulky than what it is 20 years later. But it doesn't have to be majorly. Take a look at Star Wars. And the thing that I will absolutely go for is you've got Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan speaking into razors to Luke speaking into Chapstick. That's a progress of the comlinks. Yeah. The stats are about the same. the scorch marks on the wall, I let out a whistle. Well, they do still shoot, but we might have to do something about that aim before we try to sell them. I don't think the shots should be coming out at a right angle. 
That's just a crystal alignment issue. Looking at the grouping, it's still not bad. I think a bit of work in these old cloner weapons will be saleable to that group out of Rhea. Those Saw Disciples seem to be wanting the heavy stuff now. Find us next time on a smuggled tale from the Hydean Way. We can be found on Twitter at the Hydean Way, and I'm at Deuterium Ice. And I'm at Cookie Kit. We are all at thehydeanway.com, where you can find previous episodes, links to things we talk about in the show, and our live play podcast, Heroes of the Hydean Way. You can find more episodes on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Plus, you can help us out by reading, reviewing, and subscribing. Drop us a holocom at tales at thehydeanway.com. We're also on Facebook as Tales from the Hydean Way. If you like what we do and want to support the show, you can find us at patreon.com slash thehydeanway. Or give us a coffee at ko-fi.com slash thehydeanway.